Welcome to the North Brevard Church of Christ podcast. This recording is a session from the Widowhood Workshop presented by Dean Miller. And get Brooklyn's attention. If you've lost a spouse and you've remarried, you get one because you have experienced the loss of your spouse in your life. Anybody who's experienced a loss of their spouse in the life that you're living, please see Brooklyn. Brooklyn, you make sure everybody who raises their hand on either side gets one of those. I always try to start with a little bit of lightheartedness and I have a, um, I have a relationship bit of advice for men. Relationship advice for men. When a woman says, correct me if I'm wrong, don't do it. It's a trick, it's a trap. Do not do it, I repeat, do not correct that woman. See, it was worth coming just to hear that. That may save you a lot of heartache down the road. Here's another one, fellas. A recent study has found that women who carry a little extra weight live longer than men who mention it. <laughs> I love this prayer. It is so, uh, it is so accurate about how uh, we live this uh, life sometimes and how strained we can get sometimes. Here's the prayer. You've heard of the serenity prayer. This is a spin on the serenity prayer. Lord, grant me the strength to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the friends to post bail for me when I finally snap. <laughs> and if this ever happens to you on the interstate, that you get pulled over by what her brother calls a popo. He used to call the police the popo. Well, uh, here is some interaction between this cop and this guy who gets pulled over. The cop comes to the car and says, hey, bud, you are going too fast. The preacher says, I was just trying to keep up with the rest of the traffic. The cop said, there ain't no traffic. The preacher said, I know. That's how far behind I am. But he still got a ticket. <clears throat> oh, uh, <clears throat> life. That's what we want to talk about tonight. Uh, this is not a time of worship. This is an open discussion. I want you to feel free to participate. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to participate in our time together tonight. Boy, aren't we adorable when we're born into this world? I mean, people talk sometimes about how cute a baby is. I've seen, I mean, I've seen a bunch of babies in the hospital as a preacher for some 47 years with local churches. I've seen a lot of babies in the hospital. I have not seen an ugly one yet. They're all just precious and adorable. I just feel like I want to spank that little hind end that's sticking up there. And then maybe kiss those cheeks. Isn't it a beautiful thing when we're born into this world and we are just so lovable and adorable? Now some of us keep breathing and we go from cute to ugly. <laughs> Cheryl Wayne, uh, you, you feel for me, right? Yes. Okay. Tell me about the world that uh, these beautiful babies are born into. Give me, um, surely in a group this large, we'll go at least a half a dozen, maybe seven. Give me a word or a phrase that you would use to describe the world in which these lovely, adorable children are born into. Give me a word or phrase that describes the world that we're born into. Broken. That's an accurate description. Broken. What else can you say about this world? Trouble. Okay, troubled? Loving. Loving. 
Unforgiving. God's grace. God's grace? Creation. Creation. And isn't it beautiful? It is just beautiful. I love it when my friends on Facebook go on these exotic trips. Because what I often post after I look at all their pictures and just really enjoy the beauty of what they're experiencing, I just uh, post them back and I say, thank you for saving me thousands of dollars. I don't have to go there now because you've shown me the beauty of God's creation where you're at. Can you think of any other words or phrases you'd use to describe this world? Challenging. Challenging, okay, challenging. Sinful. Sinful. First John chapter 5 and verse 19 says, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Boy, that's scary. It's true. It's scary. Yes, ma'am. A opportunity and choice. A world of opportunity and choice. Awesome. It now what did you what did you sense? What did you what did you find in the things that were mentioned? What did you find in that mix of things that were mentioned about this world that we're born into? There's, okay, there's negative and there's positive. We've mentioned both, haven't we? Wide spectrum, very wide spectrum. I mean, there's some things about this world that are just, I mean, awesome, literally awesome. I'm not talking about like fantastic, I'm talking about Awesome to the point of wonder and amazement. You just have to stand in awe, A-W-E, of some of the things that you see and observe in this world. Now, there's also things in this world that are very troubling, very, very challenging. And it is a world where there's just a lot of different things. I want you to look at this picture and when you look at this picture, I want you to think about what you see in that picture. What do you see in that picture about the world we live in? That's out of balance, okay. Anything else? What do you see? The blessings outweigh the burdens. The blessings outweigh the can we go back to English class again? Do you remember this morning we talked about verbs? How about nouns? If you remember, I don't know if they still describe it this way. I mean, it was the previous century when I was in school. But, um, you know, nouns have number. You know, verbs have tenses. Nouns have number. What is the number of both of those nouns there? Yeah, it's not singular. It's plural. There, there's blessings and there's burdens. There's not only both. But there is a number, a quantity of both. Now, Miss Gale says that the blessings far outweigh the burdens. Okay, now, if that's true, what Miss Gale said, I want to ask you what you think about. I'm going to quote this verse. I'm sure you've heard it before, but you can look it up if you want to. Job chapter 14, verse 1. Remember Job, seven sons, three daughters. A boatload of critters. I mean, I would not want to have been around at feeding time when it was time to go out and feed the livestock. I mean, that man, he was super blessed. He just lived an incredible, amazing life. He was a God-fearing man. He not only loved God, he loved his family, and he was wonderfully blessed. But I'm sure you know the story. 
man, he began to suffer loss. And he makes this statement in Job 14 and verse 1. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Now, what do you think about that observation? Job 14, verse 1. Was he right or was he wrong? Experiencing what you are in the moment sometimes. Okay. Let's look at it this way. Let's, let's chop up that statement of his, that observation of his. Man that is born of woman. Now, is that true? Do you know of any other way to get here, okay, than to be born of woman, okay? Can, can we check that one off, okay? Man that is born of woman. Yep. I don't know of any other way to get here. Is a few days. Now, what do you think about that? Can we check mark that one as true? Okay. Now, even if you live to be 100, I mean, it takes three numbers to identify accurately your age. That's still a few days, 100? In God's eyes. Okay, in God's eyes. Let me tell you about a Come to Jesus meeting I had, driving the car on Van Drive in Jackson, Tennessee, a few months ago. I was listening to uh, the radio, and I was listening to this uh, denominational preacher preach. I don't know what religious group he was from, but he made this observation about wisdom that I'd never heard before. And when he said that, this observation, it just really stuck with me. And I thought, wow, that's right. He said, wisdom is when you see something the way God sees it. I thought, bing, 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 that's right. Wisdom is when you see something the way God sees it. You know, when you see marriage the way God sees it, you have wisdom about marriage. When you see money and money management as God sees it, you've got wisdom about financial management and financial planning. When you see time as God sees it, you have wisdom about time. Man that is born of woman is a few days. In uh, James chapter 4, the Bible says it's like a vapor that appears for a little time. And then what happens? It vanishes away. It's a little time. If, uh, if you die in the hospital as a baby, or if you die at the age of 103, Compared to eternity, what is both of those? A very brief period of time. Very brief. Always strive to look at things the way God sees them. Because when you look at things the way God sees them, you see them correctly. And you have wisdom about the things that you see when you see things the way God sees them. Man that is born of woman, check mark, is a few days, check mark. Now, what about the last phrase? Full of trouble. Now, was that right? Now, remember, he's a man of God. And he said life was full of trouble. Yes. 
Yes. Anybody disagree? Full of trouble. If I have a 16 ounce glass, and in that 16 ounce glass, I have 16 ounces of milk, how much more milk can go in the glass? If it's full, it's full, right? Yeah. Let me ask you, uh, have you ever thought about the blessings of Job? Now, I'm not talking about pre-suffering. I'm talking about in the midst of suffering. Have you ever thought about the blessings of Job? Was his life literally full of trouble? Did he still have any blessings when he was in agony because of what he was experiencing? Can you name any blessing that he had? He was still alive. Okay, if he was still alive, what does that mean? What was his heart doing? What was the blood doing? Still coursing through his veins. He had brainwave activity because he was thinking and he was talking. And hope. What else did he have? He had friends. Now, wait a minute. Let's wait a minute. Just a minute. Uh, we got to talk about these friends. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, from what you know about Job and his life and the way his life is depicted, let me ask you this question. Do you think he had more than three friends? Now, my, I think that's a pretty reasonable conclusion. Okay. But when he was in deep heartache because of how his life had tanked, he had three men who were willing to drop everything. Everything. And I'm sure they had other things to do, but they dropped everything. And they traveled to be in his presence. Now that's friendship. You know, one of the best things that we can do for hurting people isn't talking to them. The best blessing often we can give hurting people is just be there. It's the ministry of presence. As a matter of fact, it's when we open our mouth that sometimes we're not so comforting. Those three friends dropped everything and they came and they sat in the presence of Job in ashes just like him silently for seven days. Now that was not a miracle. If it had been three female friends, it would have been a miracle. For them to come and sit for seven days and not say, I don't think it's possible for four women to sit seven days and not say a, a thing. I'm not sure that's possible. But you got these three men and they come and they commiserate with him. And they show their love and concern for him by presence. It was only when they opened their mouth that they became what Job described accurately as miserable comforters. But they didn't come with that intention, did they? They came with a heart of love, displayed sacrifice, and they came into his presence. He had friends. And he, did he have a wife? Okay. He had a wife. Now, she may not have been super wife. She may not have been as spiritually strong as him. But he had a wife. He had blessings even in the midst of his suffering. But did he see his blessings? See, when you look at that statement in Job 14.1, what was he focused on? What did he see? Suffering. That he 
he was so deeply, so deeply affected by the burdens he was experiencing in his life that he describes his life as full of trouble. It wasn't literally, but that's how he felt. See, one of the problems with us experiencing life in this world is we do it as human beings. I think it might be easier if we were angels, but I really haven't seen any of them hanging out with us, but we do it as human beings. And we human beings, we really struggle. Do you know what we don't know? The answer to that question is a lot. We have a lot more ignorance than we have knowledge. Now, how many things have we experienced in our life? Again, that's limited. Here we are, we, we don't know everything about anything. And we haven't experienced everything. And then the Lord turns us loose with free will in this world to interact with other people. Oh my. That's kind of scary when you stop to think about it. I think we all need to go home and pray for one another. That, I mean, you stop and think about just how challenging this life is. And how deeply affected we can be by our burdens. And how that sometimes we forget about the blessings. Let me tell you about July 14th, 2013. On July 11th of 2013, my wife was starving to death. Not figuratively, literally, she was starving to death. She had lost her ability to speak long before that. If you've ever tried to care for somebody who couldn't speak, it can be so frustrating, just maddening, because you want to understand, but you can't hear the words. And they can't communicate the words. And imagine what it's like to live in a body like that and then to care for a person living in a body like that. But she was literally starving to death. I tried to read her eyes, and that was a very, very difficult thing to do. I said to her, honey, do you want me to try to get something for you to eat? And I tried to read her eyes, and it seemed as if she was confirming that that's what she wanted. So I ran into the kitchen, I made some mashed potatoes really quickly, I came back into the room where she was sitting, and I tried to feed her some mashed potatoes. But at that point, she was so affected by the Parkinson's disease, she could barely get her teeth opened. So we have a, have a hard time that night trying to get any mashed potatoes into her mouth. And then what little we got in there, she struggled to swallow because she was losing the ability to swallow. Starving to death and not able to eat. She started crying. I started crying. We were both a mess. I said, honey, do you want a feeding tube now put in? To this point, she had not. That night she consented. I immediately went to the phone, called 911. They came to get her, took her to the hospital. The next day, on July 12th, they put in a feeding tube. On July the 14th, the doctor stood with me out in the hall and he said, well, you're not dealing with an immediate situation here, most likely. You probably got months. I don't know how many, but you probably got months. He said, eventually what's gonna happen is that Parkinson's disease is going to get up into her respiratory system and she's just going to stop breathing. Little did I know how accurate that was. From July 14 to Christmas morning, 
of 2013. July 14, we bring her home. I was standing in front of the, of the oven. I remember even exactly where I was standing. When it, it dawned on me, okay, from this day forward, no food needs to be brought into this house. I never wanted her to smell what she couldn't enjoy, she couldn't eat. And so I was never gonna cook in that house anymore, nor was I gonna bring any food into that house. So I would eat in the garage, or I would eat uh, outside, and something dawned on me when I was standing in front of the oven. For all these decades of my life to that point, I thought, how many times had I thanked the Lord for, for the food, but had never, ever, not even once, ever thanked Him for the ability to eat the food? Never once. Do you know there, there are people who can't eat? Some people can't eat because they don't have anything to eat. Some people can't eat because they're not physically capable of eating. I saw a lot of us doing that down the hallway. Have you ever thanked the Lord for the ability to eat? For the ability to swallow. Do you know some people become incapable of doing that? That's when I got introduced shortly after that to this book, 1,000 Gifts. It's one of the books back there on the table, 1,000 Gifts. This author decides that she's on a journey where she's going to count 1,000 blessings in her life. It's a hard book to read, frankly. But during the caregiving time with my wife, and that particular instant in particular, I got to thinking about how that I was an ingrate and didn't know it because I'd never thought about so many of my blessings. You know, sometimes we're so busy enjoying our blessings that we forget the source. And sometimes we get so busy enjoying the multitude of the blessings and the richness of those blessings that we don't even think about how blessed we are like we ought to. We're really very, very blessed. Job was terribly burdened. But he was also blessed even when he was most burdened. But he just couldn't see that. Why? He was a human being, just like us. And there are going to be times where it's going to be hard for us to see the reality because of the impact of the burdens in our life. Sometimes it can blind us to our blessings, blind us to the source of the blessings, and cause us to feel things that are not consistent with reality. I would suggest to you, that with Job's life and with all of our lives, this is always true. We are always more blessed than we're burdened. Always. And I don't use universal terms very often. Those usually get you in trouble. But I think I can defend that without fear of contradiction. We are always more blessed than we're burdened. So if you're on Facebook and you want to hashtag something, here's something you can hashtag if you know what that is. Blessed beyond both measure and merit. That's it. That's all of us. We're all blessed beyond measure and beyond merit. That's the reality. Well, what happens in this world is um, we get attached to stuff, okay? Now, who remembers the movie? What's the movie? 
Christmas story, 1983, I believe, 11th Avenue, Cleveland, my beloved Cleveland, Ohio. As a matter of fact, you can go to the house where that movie was filmed. It's kind of like a museum. Well, uh, who is the guy over here on the right? Okay, Ralphie. He is so adorable. Now, I have a gift for anybody who can tell me the name of his friend that was so stupid, he stuck his tongue out and got it stuck to the flagpole. Don't Google this. Okay? Does anybody know the first name? What? Bing, 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 bing. That is the first time anybody has ever answered that question. I am impressed. I am impressed. Yeah, his name was Flick. Okay, now you... Yeah. Come over here and you pick from one of those two books. You can have either one. I still can't believe that. <laughs> I got to post. Can I take your picture? I want to post your picture on Facebook. People are not going to believe this. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> oh. But we become attached to things. And what I mean by that is we find things that are uh, important to us. Things grow important to us. And in that sense, we become attached to them. I use love in that universal sense that we do use it now contemporarily. Name me some things that we become attached to in life that if we lost them, it would matter to us. Something that, or something that we would lose in our life, and when we did it, it would matter to us because we really placed a value on it. Pets? Do you know there are pet cemeteries? There are pet cemeteries. I've never yet been asked to do a funeral, okay, for a pet. But I figure it's going to come. Sooner or later, it's going to come. I'll post that on Facebook, too. Okay? You can become attached to pets. What else can you become attached to? Name me something that you can become attached to that if you lost it, it would really matter to you. Okay, the spouse, obviously. And we're getting to widowhood the next three days, Lord willing. Your eyesight. Okay, your eyesight. What a blessing to be able to see. And you know, that's the one I would most not want to lose. I, I don't want to lose my hearing or my smelling. I don't want to lose any of them. But that's the one I would most not want to lose. The loss of sight. Photographs. Some photographs. Yeah, what about when you lose photographs? What if your house burned down? Or was blown away in a tornado? Would that matter to you? Now, why would that matter to you? You're just talking about, you know, some two-befores, some four-befores, maybe a few bricks, some windows. I mean, you can put a monetary value on that. Why would that matter to you, that house? Memories. Okay. What are those memories of? Loved ones. And what have you done with those loved ones? You've experienced life with those loved ones. Yeah. See, when you become attached to things... And then you lose them. Life becomes very difficult. And very different than before. How about the loss of your health? Let me tell you about my favorite rock star sister. Her name's Carolyn Spade. It was January 8th, 
Northeast Ohio, it's snowing that day, I met her and some of her family at the oncology doctor. The oncology doctor came in and shared with her the information. It was a terrible diagnosis. Miss Carolyn and one of her daughters, among all the children, only Miss Carolyn and one of her daughters was consistently faithful to the Lord. Her husband was a drunk. He was a drunk for decades. He became a Christian when he was a teenager, but he was an unfaithful Christian for the vast majority of his life. Butch was his name, and he was there too. So there's Miss Carolyn Spade, and then her husband, Butch, and then me, her preacher, and then some of her children. We're in the oncology doctor's office, and he gives this horrible diagnosis. I asked the doctor if he would let us stay in that room and spend some time talking about what we'd just heard, and then spend some time in prayer. Fortunately, he granted us that space for a while, and so we did. We sat there, and we talked about it, and it was a brutal time. She lost her health, and there's virtually no hope. So after we spend that time in discussion and prayer, then she goes through the office, and we're beginning to exit the doctor's office. Now remember, this is January 8th in Northeast Ohio. The snow's falling, the wind's blowing, and we just step outside the door. Her husband, Butch, says, I'll go out and get the truck and pull it to the door. When Butch walked out there to the parking lot, here's what Miss Carolyn said. Now this is 30 minutes, about 30 minutes from the worst news she has ever heard in her life to this point. She said, well, maybe this will bring Butch back to the Lord. Is that impressive? That is impressive. Look at what she was doing in the way of reacting. I, I don't think I could have done that. Certainly not 30 minutes after I'd heard what I'd just heard. She had lost something very, very precious. But she was hoping that there'd be some value, some blessing that would come through that horrific loss. How many of you have ever uh, saw that movie a few years ago, I Can Only Imagine? Did some of you see that movie, I Can Only Imagine? Beautiful faith-based movie with a great moral value to it. There's this kid growing up in this uh, totally messed up family. I mean, highly dysfunctional family. His dad's a, a, a drunk, and his dad is also um, a, a violent person. So this kid grows up in a family where there's domestic violence and excessive alcohol. His mother leaves the family because she can't stand it anymore. And he toughs it out until he graduates from high school. And then he leaves home because that's what he wants to do. He wants to get as far away as he can from his life. And he gets this job setting up for this singing group, their, their sound equipment. And this one time, the, the lead singer doesn't show up. And he overhears it and he said, I, I can sing for you. I, I'll sing. At home, one of the ways that he participated in therapy for himself, he had a guitar. And, and he would pick that guitar and he would write lyrics and, and he enjoyed singing. So he started singing for these, these fellas. And they were kind of like the Partridge family. They bought this bus, they painted up the bus, and they started going places, and, and they were 
doing their thing. They were doing these little concerts and they were playing their music as, as a band. And they never were real super successful. And then it just so happens at a critical time in the movie that there is this uh, music agent, this entertainment agent, after one of their concerts that he attended, he, he gets in the face of that boy and, and this is what he says. He says, son, you know, you're pretty decent, but you're never gonna make anything of this until you take your pain and you turn it into your inspiration. The pain of his life as a kid growing up. You take that pain and you convert that into your inspiration. And he said, if you do that, you'll make it. Well, the kid went back home. He worked out things with his dad. And sure enough, when he went back to the group, they started climbing. He becomes highly successful. You know, sometimes in life, when we lose things that we love, it has a powerful effect on us. And we've got to deal with the reality of our loss. And what we've got to decide is, what am I going to do with this loss? Because you can't go back and erase it. What are you going to do now with your loss? The, the rest of your life, you're going to have to live with the reality that maybe you lost a business that was really precious to you. You know, you've invested so much of your life in that business, but you lose your business and you go bankrupt. Well, no matter what happens from that point forward, that's still a reality. You had a failing business and you had to declare bankruptcy. You lost something of great value. Have you ever thought about a young girl with a godly heart who in a moment of passion loses her virginity and struggles with the reality of how she lost her virginity? Have you ever thought about the silent suffering of people who have lost precious things in their life? She comes to realize that she made a terrible choice based on passion, but she's got to live with that the rest of her life. Think about, think about the woman who is the subject of sexual violence and has been raped. And she's got to deal with that reality of what she's lost from that experience. And again, it could be her virginity as well as other things. And she has to live with that the rest of her life. A person who has to have an arm amputated. There was a brother up in Hartville, Ohio, where I was, in one of the rubber factories who got an arm caught in one of the machines. And he had to have a part of his arm amputated. And for the rest of his life, he had to live with the reality that he didn't have that part of his body. We can't go back and erase the loss. But what we do have to decide is, how am I going to live with this loss? Well, I'll tell you what you ought to do when you lose something of real value in your life. The first thing you ought to do is permit yourself to grieve. Now, we live in a grief illiterate society. What we need to do is become more educated about grief. One of the things, one of the values of the Widowhood Workshop Ministry is education about grief. When you lose something that you love. Please pardon our dust. Technical difficulties prevented us from recording a few minutes of this session. Oh, I can tell you a lot of stories 
Uh, Brittany was married a little over 1,300 days when her husband was in an accident. And she went from being happily married to being widowed in her 20s. I can tell you about Cynthia. Her and her husband owned a farm in West Tennessee. After lunch, he went out to weld on a diesel tank that was on the back of a truck that he would use to transport the diesel fuel out to fuel the machinery out in the fields. And he went out to weld on that tank on the back of that truck. It had 75% diesel fuel in it, 25% fumes, which is not a problem, but he did not know there was a pinhole leak in that tank. He started welding. It blew the building up. It blew the machinery up. It blew his body out of the building. His wife went and took all kinds of blankets and comforters and got them soaking wet and went out and threw them on her husband's body. He was life flighted to Memphis, Tennessee and died about 24 hours later. I can tell you about Buffy, who is a teacher down in southwest Georgia, who called her husband every day at lunchtime. But on this day, when she hung up, she was worried. Things weren't right. She decided to rush to the car and head home, but the commute was a 45-minute commute. On the way to her house, she called her dad, who was a law enforcement officer, and asked her dad to go to the house because she was concerned about her husband. Her father found her husband dead. He had taken his life. She's alone now in her 20s with a child about a year and a half old. I can tell you story after story after story, not just of people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s, but ones much, much younger than that. Imagine dealing with significant loss at such an early time. What we've got to realize when we're struggling with this is that, yes, we want to get to a new beginning, but we can't flip a switch to get there. You can't board a plane and it take you there so you can get there in just an hour or so. What change does, especially force change does, is it puts you in a forest. Let me describe for you what this forest is like. It's the weirdest place. In this forest, there are no footprints. There are people, but there are no footprints. And in this forest, there are no pathways, but there are people. And some of the people in this forest... I mean, they are such a wonderful blessing and a great encouragement. But there are other people in this forest you could live without. Because they don't have a clue. They don't really have much of a heart. And they're not very wise about how to comfort and help people who are struggling. And you're in this forest. And you sometimes interact with other people. But you've got to work through this forest to get to the other side. It's kind of like being in a maze... And in this maze, it's like you're running this cross-country marathon during all kinds of virtual weather, and you're trying to get through this forest maze to a place called a new beginning. Boy, now that's a challenge. Some people will be helpful, but some people not so helpful. But you've got to find your way to get there. That is the challenge we have after we lose something or someone of great value. It's called the neutral zone. William Bridges calls this the neutral zone. And so what we have to do is realize that we're dealing with the impact of loss in our life. 
We've got to cut ourselves some slack. We've got to realize that we're in an ICU. We need to treat ourselves like we're in an ICU because that's what we are. And we have to realize you don't get out of an ICU real quickly. Not when things are real severe. You may be there a lot longer than you ever wanted. But you've got to find your way. Some people, it's going to take a long time. A long time. We are way too quick to think, boy, she ought to be over it by now. Or, you know, man, he, he ought to be over this by now. Surely. And you can Google it. Stupid stuff we say to widowed people. You, I, will, I will let you Google that one. But there are some dumb things that people say. Because we live in a grief illiterate society, we've got to compassionately realize if it's us, we've got to be patient with ourselves. If it's somebody else in our life, we've got to be patient with ourselves because we're having to work through something we've never had to work through in our life before. And we're not going to be our normal self. As a matter of fact, what's going to happen is hopefully we're going to keep working on this forest experience and we're going to get to a new beginning, but we're also going to be a new person. There's an identity crisis you go through when you have, when you have suffered severe loss in your life. What in the world are we going to do? Well, this Hobby Lobby verse is a good reminder. How about waiting on the Lord? Because he has strength that we don't have. And we need to exchange, renew, or exchange our weakness for his strength to help us to cope with our life. And the best thing to do is seek the rock that's higher than we are. The biggest and best help when we're struggling with the loss of something important in our life or someone important in our life is the Lord. One of the three mottos of the Widowhood Workshop Ministry is don't waste your pain. If you've suffered severe loss of anything in your life, seek to use it in your new normal for the glory of God and the benefit of other people. In that way, we find some blessing and some purpose in our agony. To be honest with you and to be personal with you, that's the reason why there's a widowhood workshop ministry. About three weeks after my wife passed away, it was mid-January, an empty house. Nobody else was in that house but me. And I experienced something I'd never experienced before. I spontaneously, out loud said... What is wrong with me? Now you would think after 32 years of being with the same church and working with all those widowed people, pre-loss, at-loss, and post-loss, I'd been a little bit better prepared. I realized that the answer to the question I asked myself that night is nothing. What is wrong with me? The answer is nothing. Because I was just human. And I was grieving. So then I passionately began to search every book I could possibly find. Written by withered people. Because I wanted to find out about other people's experiences. And I got to thinking, man, we ought to do something to try to help withered people. Let me, in closing, mention about the display I have back there on the table. You may have sat in some church Bible studies and heard these controversial discussions and studies about the unpardonable sin. Well, I'm fixing to tell you what the unpardonable sin is. 
It's stealing the preacher's books in the house of the Lord. <laughs> There's a sign back there on that table that says, these are for display only, okay? Don't be ripping the preacher off, okay? Those books are out there to show you about what some of the things are that are written that may help you or may help you help somebody else with difficult loss in life. And there are a number of books back there about widowhood. And by the way, one of the things that I wish I could have done, I wished I should have done while I was married, is to read a book about widowhood. You want to help your marriage? Here's something I would suggest to you. You and your spouse sit down and read together a book about widowhood. I'll bet after that you'll appreciate your mate more. I'll bet you're, you're going to more actively participate in expressing appreciation in many ways after reading a book like that. I've been noticing one out of one dies. Statistically, it's highly unlikely you're going to die with your spouse. We need to make the most of that special, unique opportunity of being married. I know this is true because I read it on the internet. There are 7.7 .7 billion people in this world. How many people are you married to? Out of 7.7 .7 billion. Please, I beg you, please, cherish every moment you have with your spouse. Cherish every experience that you have with your spouse. Because your life or your spouse's life may turn on a dime and you may find yourself left behind struggling with the challenge of life after loss. That's why I've done everything that I've done to try to create this Widowhood Workshop Ministry. If you come and be with us either tomorrow morning at 10 or tomorrow evening at 7, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at God's perspective about widowhood. Tuesday we're going to take a look at a personal perspective about widowhood. Tuesday is going to be like going into the head and heart of a widowed person. And that's a scary place to be, I'll tell you. And some of those who are widowed here will tell you the same thing. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to visit into the head and heart of a widowed person. And then Wednesday we're going to talk about something that really needs to be talked about, and that's marriage after loss. And the neat thing about the way we handle this, and I see some young people here, the neat thing that we do in handling that subject is we go back to the basics. If somebody were to ask me what would be the best session in a widowhood workshop for a young person never married to attend, it'd be that last session, marriage after loss. Because we're going to talk about some of the myths about marriage and talk about what marriage is. And I think it'd be a real blessing before you ever got married to focus some attention on that subject. I know there's a million other places you could have been tonight, but you came here. I cannot thank you enough. Can we pray together and we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together. We pray, Father, that you'll bless us with safety returning home. Father, we don't want to take anything for granted. We are so good at doing that, so easy to take things for granted. Father, help us to appreciate how richly blessed we are and the tremendous value of those blessings. Father, with a heart full of gratitude, may we serve you more fully and more faithfully. Father, we pray that we'll be able to talk about this more as the week progresses. We pray that there'll be people interested enough to come back. We pray this prayer, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.